1: I got to call my girlfriend. <laughs> oh my god, I'm having a baby. No, no, that I don't even know what that is.
0: Morbid. 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 Morbid international. Morbid international. Morbid international. Morbid international. Hello and welcome to Varvet International. This is Christopher Triumph and you're listening to episode 40. And if that number calls for a celebration, we have the perfect guest for it, as Jerry Ferrara is in the house, or he was in the house. This was recorded some time ago in Los Angeles, as you will hear, we're in West Hollywood. Jerry Ferrara is 35 years old and he was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. He's been a working actor for 15 years or so, but it was with the role as Turtle on the incredible hit TV show Entourage that he got a true breakthrough as an actor and world fame came with it. When I met Jerry, he was sort of done with all the press around the Entourage movie that had hit the cinemas this spring. And I can only imagine how tired he must be of talking about the Entourage uh, thing. So I'll make him talk about it even more. And he did. Such an extremely nice guy. Will touch base also on his own podcast. He actually has two. Bad for business and bad for sports. Check them out. Both available on iTunes and Acast, I think. But enough with the background, let's dig into the much-anticipated Jerry Ferrara interview. Roll the tape, please. We were just discussing that you were so punctual.
1: You know, actually, Starbucks hold, held me up. I would have been here probably down to the minute.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, uh, but that's perfect.
1: Yeah, I don't know when that happened, because I was not always a... It's not that I was like a irresponsible guy, but... There was always, like, a 15-minute buffer of lateness with me. And just something happened as I got closer to 30. I just cannot be, like, it'll drive me nuts if I'm 15, 20 minutes
0: late. I don't know why. That's very nice.
1: Yes, yes. But now the problem is, like, if someone does it to me, I get mad.
0: I heard them discuss this on NPR yesterday, that parents should help their kids up to a point. But then if, if the kid fails at like being on time or something like that, that they should stop helping. And let them figure it out? Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good strategy. I think it works best because, you know, your parents can only take you so far into like telling you what to do and how to do it. But yeah, I was very I was late all the time when I was younger. Yeah. When I was a kid. But yes. I just figured it out.
0: Being a professional actor and so forth, is that do you have to be on time?
1: Yeah, you know, and that's pretty much how I learned my lesson. I, I was really late one day, inadvertently. I didn't I didn't do it on my my alarm clock just didn't go off and I had like a six AM call time. And I woke up at seven thirty, mm-hmm. and I still had traffic to battle. So I, I, I was probably—I think that's also what. What like I set two alarms now. I put one across the room, so I have to physically get up. But yeah, you know, because on a set in production, that's that's money. You know, if you're an hour late, if you broke it down to by the hour, mm-hmm. how much it costs to shoot something? It's a very costly hour, and uh, I just think it's disrespectful. Of course. To keep, especially in production, if you left 80 people standing around waiting for you, I just think that's very disrespectful. So I I do my best. How are you today? I'm good today. I'm real good. Uh, I actually used to live right over here. So this is kind of like a cool little flashback. I walked into my old coffee shop and... uh,
0: And they Um, spelt your name right. Let's
1: see. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes I get Jerry with a G. Sometimes I get J-E-R-R-I. So I get a few different... Sometimes I just get Jared. They just hear something different.
0: You know that they have a strategy around that, right? Which is? That if they spell your name really wrong, you're going to Instagram it. And then they're going to get I've actually done
1: that, yeah. (laughs) I've done that. I've actually Instagrammed the wrong spelling. Yeah, I always thought, though, too, like... um, (laughs) I wrote this short film one time, which I never shot, which maybe I'll shoot one day, about a guy who finds out his girlfriend is cheating on him via the names on a Starbucks coffee cup. Uh Like she said she was with her girlfriend, Mm -hmm. and then he looked at her Starbucks cup, and it said like Jake on it.
0: Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Starbucks, what are you going to do? Taking over the world. Can I ask you, I mean, this is my second language, obviously. Can I ask you, should I call you sir? No. No. No, I shouldn't. No, because I'm five years older than you are. <sighs> Should you call me, sir? I,
1: I think like five years okay. is about this. Is so what you you're almost forty or you are forty? Uh, forty one. Yeah, forty one. I I think we're about the same. I think when you get past thirty, anything within five years, we're basically the same age. Like, okay. I feel like we're experiencing a lot of the same same things. <laughs> so no, I think there's got to be like at least here. I think it's like fifteen years. Okay a senior to call someone, sir. I got called sir for the first time the other night, and it was, uh, I kinda liked it, not gonna lie. Yeah, you did? Yeah, it's like an 18 year old uh, kid working at a restaurant as we were finishing, he came up to me, he said, excuse me, sir, and I looked at it, I looked around trying to figure out who he was talking to, and uh, he's like, would you mind, he's like, I'm a big fan of Entourage, do you mind if we get a picture after you leave? And I said, sure, very respectful young man. And uh, as I was leaving after I took the picture, he called me Mr. Ferrara. So I really, I really felt like an accomplished older
0: gentleman. Okay. You have to get used to it. I love it.
1: I mean, outside of like my body physically not being able to do the things it used to do, I'm enjoying the aging process. I really am. I like that my hair is turning gray. I like them getting some like laugh line wrinkles. I like complaining that I'm old. It's the greatest excuse to go home early. Has your
0: physique started to sort of give up on you?
1: It's starting to a little. Like, there's just, uh, I actually, knock on wood, I'm in pretty decent shape. Um, I can tell. And I think it's because all my 20s, I was in such bad shape. I kind of took my 20s off and just destroyed myself in terms of food. And, you know, I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes. I used to smoke a lot of pot. So uh, I started getting in shape basically on my 30th birthday. So... But now, yeah, like the knees, I'm starting, I have a knee thing, I have a hip thing. Me too. I have uh, like a lower back thing, I get like this weird, like my foot falls asleep very easily, I have like some sciatica, sciatic
0: nerve thing, it's all falling apart i have the hip thing too and i'm trying to run but i can't anymore so that's the thing running outside running on
1: track like we got you and i we need to do like elliptical machines because there's no impact on the knees and the hips that's what we have to do and you can do that somewhere the gym the place i hate and love the gym okay how often do you go I used to go a lot. I used to be like a five day a week guy. I kind of hit a wall. Now I try to go like three times a week and then do a day or two of an activity, whether it's basketball or a hike or a swim, just something where I'm not like in a gym with my, I put my music in and running while staring into space, you know? Mm -hmm. So you don't run like marathons and so forth? No, I actually would love to do that one day. It's some, It's been a, a goal of mine. But again, like we were saying, I don't actually know. I'm sure if I trained, I could probably do it. But I think it would be really taxing on the ankles and knees to do it. I, I marvel at people who train. I'm a goal-oriented person. Like I need to know what the light at the end of the tunnel is. So training for something like a marathon would be great, but to just train for no reason, I have a hard time. I need a goal.
0: So do you have a goal right now?
1: You know, I don't, and I think that's kind of the reason why I'm struggling a little bit right now. Uh, I'm certainly not training and working out and being as active as I am. Basketball, I have a, a goal. I'm playing in, it's called fantasy camp. This is like the nerdiest thing for a quote unquote athletic person to do. You basically and it's done through the USA Olympic basketball team. It's a camp in Vegas where they take a bunch of old not-so-athletic guys like myself, and you pretend like you're a professional athlete for three days. They give you real coaches. They give you the real jerseys. You play in real games at referees in front of a crowd. So it's a fantasy camp. You pretend like you're a professional athlete for three days. Okay. So I'm training for that right now, which yeah. is
0: cool. But when I have no goals, I do the most half-assed workouts in the world. That sounds like a fantastic thing, though. Is it for all sports or just... I think
1: the the main one is football. They do it with baseball as well. Okay. But basketball is like the one. A lot of professionals, like LeBron James and Dwayne, they have like their own where all the proceeds go to charity, usually tied to a great charity. Okay. Because they're expensive, these camps. Yeah, yeah,
0: so you had to pay to get into it.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's it's all charity-based. Okay. So.
0: We've sort of touched base on many things that I would like to discuss with you later on. But sure. I was going to ask you, you said that you used to live Near here?
1: Yes, I used to live very close to here. Where do you live now? I moved basically kind of close to uh, like Century City, just past like uh, Beverly Hills. I guess it's it's close to Beverly Hills, but we're just outside the zip code. <laughs> so uh, that nine hundred two hundred zip code increases your bills quite a lot. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'm very close, but this I used to walk this street every day okay. to get Santa Monica. So, yeah, just to get my my coffee. All my errands were like right along this strip.
0: So, do you live technically in the valley?
1: No, no. I'm okay. still on this side of the hill, as okay. they like to say. But I lived in the valley for first eight years when I moved to LA. I'm from New York originally. So, I, I did an eight year bid in the valley. Okay. Which I feel like a lot of people do when they move to LA because the valley's very nice, almost suburban. But it's it's way more reasonable place to live for a young, struggling actor and a lot of great restaurants you can work at as well. And it's not that far. I mean, traffic could be a nightmare. But uh, I always liked the Valley because I wanted to stay out of trouble. I did not want to be in the scene. I wanted to be outside the scene when I was younger. Just because I wanted to stay focused. I wanted to, you know, the reason why I came here was to chase my career or otherwise i would have never left i have a great family in new york great friends and new york is one of the best places to party if that's what you wanted to do so if i left that for a career then damn sure that was going to be my number one priority i mean i still had fun don't get me wrong but uh it was like my security blanket where i was just
0: far enough away from the scene quote Someone told me also that uh, like North Hollywood is really happening right now and so forth.
1: Yeah, it is. It's kind of, uh, I guess you could almost say in a weird way, it's like the Williamsburg of, of L.A. North Hollywood always had like its own kind of uh, arts district. And North Hollywood was one of those places where, you know, you could be in one part of it where it's really nice and suburban and then you cross the street and then it's kind of like a hairy area where you're like, well, where am I? But yeah, no, a lot of it, it's it's become a really popular place in the valley to live. There's a lot to do. That's the problem with the valley is, you know, after 9 p.m., there's not a whole lot to do. Whereas in the eighties, Ventura Boulevard, all throughout like Sherman Oaks and Studio City, was actually a very happening place. Now North Hollywood's kind of has like a a nice kind of nightlife art kind of district. We actually did an episode years ago of Entourage where we had to go to the Valley, and it just it, all the reasons why you don't want to go to the Valley is what we were complaining. It's one of our more popular episodes. Yeah, uh, I remember the that. Valley episode.
0: Yeah. In order to understand you, what do I need to know about um, Brooklyn? You need to know that it was a great place for a kid to
1: grow up. You have to grow up kind of fast over there because um it was a pretty rough neighborhood where uh even sometimes like the innocent got caught up in some rough stuff, you know, but uh it was just a very impressional place. you know when I grew up in Brooklyn, it was kind of dominated by gangsters in a way you know like in the quote unquote i'm not gonna say the mafia because there is no such thing that's what we were taught you know but it just was a very like they were like movie stars in our our neighborhood because they had money and cars and women so it's a very impressionable place to grow up in which is why i think um i learned early on that you got to stay out of trouble and like kind of mind your business and do your own thing and be an individual don't follow the crowd. But like I said, it was the kind of place where you grew up and your best friends lived on the same street as you. And, you know, you didn't have to like call to see what was going on. You just walked down to the Avenue. Like if Santa Monica Boulevard was our popular, you just Saturday mornings, I woke up, I just go down there and 15 of my best friends were just there. We were playing football, basketball, or getting into some mischief. It really was a great place to grow up. And I guess that's where the term like street smarts I guess is kind of invented, you know. Which part of Brooklyn is this? Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, which oh. is uh, right in between Bay Ridge and Dyker Heights. Which uh, Bay Ridge is kind—I of, guess you would say—if it was LA, it was like our Sunset Boulevard. It's like where you went for all your nightlife and the restaurants and the bars. And Dyker Heights was the very suburb thats not suburban, but it's where all the big houses were. Like if you had money and bro- you you lived in Dyker Heights, okay, and uh, Bensonhurst. You know, it was an Irish, Italian, Catholic community sprinkled in with, uh, like I said, it was almost like everyone kind of stuck to their own. Then there was a Jewish community, then there was a Hispanic community, and like, it almost was like the movie The Warriors. Everyone had their own territory almost. Now it's completely different. Brooklyn's become like a very trendy, cool place to live, but when I was growing up, the the areas now that are so expensive and desire to live in, those are like bad areas. Like yeah. you didn't go in there
0: unless you, you were up to no good. Do you know that Williamsburg now is like 99% Swedish? Is that right? No. I was
1: about to say. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, that is a great stat. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> you, I wish you could have listening. If you saw my face, you would have known I was not fooled by that. No, But it caught me off guard.
0: No, but the thing is that it, it, there's a lot of Swedes there. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of everyone there. Well, you of course. Know? Yeah.
1: It's, uh, it's definitely a big, giant melting pot, which is what makes it so cool because you have so many different cultures that are – influencing. I mean,
0: it really is it feels like you're on another planet almost. I heard you say perhaps on your own podcast or something that you want to live here in Elena, but would you consider moving back at some point?
1: I always I think about it every day. And even more so now, you know, I have I've had a girlfriend for a while and I definitely see the future with her. And I, you know, thirty-five years old, I would like to, you know, have kids in the relative near future and you know, I think about growing kids up in L.A., and it's not that I don't want to do that. It's just, you know, I have nieces and nephews, my brother, my cousins, everyone's there, and that's how I grew up. Those I was surrounded by them, and I, would, I feel like I would want my kids to be surrounded by their family and, and their mom's family, obviously. So I think about it all the time, but those winters creep into your mind, yeah. and that's where it kind of really influences you because I also love... The fact that you get to be completely active November through April. That is what makes L.A. unique and special more so than anywhere is is the weather. I know you hear about it all the time. It really is a game changer for me. Like I get depressed in the winter on the East Coast. When I'm in the house too long, I really start to slip into a depression.
0: Welcome to Sweden. Our summer is like two months. Really? How bad is the winter though? That's 10 months of winter. It is bad. I'm sure the winter's there, though,
1: even though the weather's freezing cold. Probably still very beautiful, though.
0: Yes, it can be, absolutely. But I'm I'm living in Stockholm, mm-hmm. and it's like New York in a way, because when the w- snow falls, it's going to be beautiful for like one right. hour. And then, and then it's like slush. And, yeah, the
1: cars start exactly. trudging through it, and the dogs get a hold
0: of it. <laughs> exactly. But it sounds like you were sort of middle class growing up, or...? Probably a little below that. Okay, um, working class even.
1: Yeah, certainly. I was raised by a single mother. My father passed away when I was five. My older brother was eight or nine. You know, my dad was 36, which is weird. I was discuss. sorry, I'm going on a tangent, but I was discussing this with a friend of mine whose father passed away at a young age, too, and it's almost like this ticking clock because I'm 35 And I have it down to the number like my dad was 36 years old and two months Mm -hmm. when he passed away. So for me, January of 2016, I will have outlived my father. And I thought, what a morbid thing to think of. And then, I had told my brother about it. He's like, "Oh yeah, I did the same thing because he's older. He passed like a few years. He passed my dad age-wise." And I was talking to another one of my friends who I think just turned 40. He's like, "Yeah, I outlived my father. I, apparently, this is something that a lot of men do if their fathers <laughs> passed away young. You want to like pat like it's almost like a relief once you pass that threshold." So, I thought that was a little of course. I thought I was the only one who was doing that and I thought I was very weird for doing it. Anyway, I'm not trying to bring the mood down in the room. No, but not. uh Yeah, so when he passed away, you know, we didn't we didn't have much, so I'm not gonna say that we were poor, but we certainly we basically had everything we needed, but that's it. Mm-hmm. There was nothing extra, you know. There was no cool Jordans on your feet there was no like I didn't get to go to the school all my friends went to because it was like five grand a year at the time which now is nothing schools are 50 grand a year I didn't have like the cool basketball jersey uh, but in the same breath I wasn't walking around with holes in my shoes and stuff and my mom was a school crossing guard and it was at the Catholic school right next to the school I went to and she basically got that job so she had the same hours as my brother and I and she didn't make much money, but they had amazing health benefits. The city had great health benefits, and she always said that's what like kept us afloat was the fact that all those benefits were covered by the city. That's why she worked the job so long.
0: And who were you in school? Were you the class clown or
1: no? I was the the class blend in guy. I mean, I guess you could say I was kind of popular. Like I, that's the, I, I, I kind of walked amongst every group. Like I never fancied myself like one of the cool kids because I liked hanging out with the slightly nerdier kids. Like, we'd play Dungeons and Dragons and Ninja Turtles and all that stuff. But I was like, I'm not going to say I was a jock because I'm not physically gifted, but I loved sports so much. So I'd hang out with the jock type guys, always hung out with the girls. Like, I had more, like, better girlfriends sometimes than guy friends. I kind of, that's why I say I blended. I, I, I was cool with every different type of crew in school, but yet I never really stood out. I just blended in, and I kind of love that, and I still try to do that. I didn't pick the right profession for that, but, uh, yeah, I guess I I blended in. Like, if you asked any of my teachers probably in junior high or even
0: high school, like, do you remember Jerry Ferrara? They'd probably go, nope, (laughs) (laughs) never heard of him. Okay, I actually wrote this down, that my guess is that you've never been bullied. No, I actually, you know... I've never been bullied.
1: I've seen a lot of bullying, and it was always very heartbreaking to me. I never quite understood it. I never participated in it. I usually would stand up for the one being bullied as best I can, although I was not very big, so it would be hard for me to fend off. But I actually saw the craziest thing. A kid in my—I don't know what grade it was. Maybe it was fifth grade. I'm talking this guy was the biggest kid in school. He was probably 6'2" at like whatever, 10 years old. Mm. And he, there was something, when I say off, I'm not talking about any kind of like major thing, but he was certainly socially awkward. He was a gang, like you could tell he was uncomfortable with the size of his body. And this was the guy that everyone bullied. And I knew right away, I said, this is gonna go horribly wrong one day. This guy, I mean, it's basically like the Terminator. You guys are bullying the Terminator. If this kid snaps, and sure enough, one day, he was getting bullied real bad and I tried to even interject and this kid lost it and just started like physically beating. Kids. I mean, kids were getting tossed across the room. <laughs> it, it, it looked like a, something out of professional wrestling and um, a lot of kids learned their lesson that yeah. day and uh, you wish it wouldn't take something like that. And back then, that was kind of the version of a kid snapping was usually like a awkward teen or a pre-adolescent fight. Nowadays, it's become at least in America, far, far worse. But after that, they, did they leave him? They la- they, no one went near him. Joe Stern was his name. Okay. I just
0: remembered his name. Are you Facebook friends?
1: No, um, I, that's the thing. I am not, again, I blended it. I am not really friends with anyone from junior high school or high school on Facebook.
0: You played sports, of course.
1: Then. Yeah, my, that was what my life was about,
0: was sports. You told me that you were goal oriented. What or that you are. Did you have goals in- and? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. I picked the one sport where it's essential to be tall. And uh, I, I mean, if you put a ruler across my brother and my dad and I's forehead uh, heads, it would be exactly level. We're all five foot seven, bare in shoes. And uh, no one in my family played sports, no one cared really about sports except my mom. You know, my mom, and again the single mom thing. Like, I also loved baseball at first. Like, my mom taught me how to throw, which is why—no disrespect, mom, if you're listening—I can't throw to save my life. Like, oh. I throw like a girl because a girl taught me how to throw. But man, she was at, she would go out in the street with me till nine o'clock at night with the glove, and we just play catch for hours and hours and hours. And uh, yeah, but I, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. At what age
0: did you realize that that wasn't going to happen?
1: <laughs> I think I always knew. <laughs> Birth? No, probably around 13 or 14 when I got into high school and I started seeing what other 14 year olds physically were. You know, I, I entered high school, I was like 5'2, 150 pounds. When I graduated, I was 5'7, 170 pounds. So I grew three or four inches <laughs> and I gained 30 pounds. So yeah. uh, I saw what a real physically... And these weren't even kids who would end up going anywhere professionally. These were just the best kids in my neighborhood and outside of my neighborhood and what they were. I mean, kids 6'3", six, 6'4", six, dunking at 14 years old. I never had a shot.
0: I'm not sure that you have this word in English, but we have something called like ball sense, that you are good with balls, basically.
1: We don't have that word, but I like it.
0: Yeah. Are
1: you... I have
0: Gifted. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, I have good... Coordination, I guess, is how I, I was always pretty decent at every sport. I was never great at one sport, but I could play every sport rather well. And I'm super competitive. So, where what I lack physically, I think I kind of made up for with like
0: determination and just and the, the competitiveness does it come from ha- having an older brother or definitely does yeah. although he never
1: played sports to this day him and i argue over everything and i'm just and and again he is not athletic at all he's more cars and and that kind of stuff i don't know how to change the oil in a car he doesn't know the fir- like he couldn't tell you who played shortstop on the new york yankees for 15 years. Like, he doesn't know who Derek Jeter is.
0: Me neither. But
1: if you lived in New York, like, if you don't know who Derek Jeter is, like, you should be imprisoned. That's how they felt. Uh, and yeah. me, I could, like, if I had a flat tire, I'd call him.
0: So, But on the other hand, we don't have baseball at, uh, at all in Sweden. At all. See, that's, yeah, that's true. But, but what's the beauty of that sport?
1: The beauty of baseball, and why it's like Amer- the America's pastime, is it, it was kind of always the the sport that was the easiest to understand for younger kids. So it was very easy for fathers then to, that was usually the first sport a young kid would pick up is either soccer or, or baseball for the most part. And um, I think it became America's pastime because a kid would start to learn about baseball and then a father or mother for that instance. But a father would take the kid to their first baseball game. And when you see your first baseball game live as a kid, I mean, it is the coolest thing hmm. in the world to see. So uh, that's kind of become the tradition of it. And that's why it's become America's pastime, although it's not America's number one sport
0: anymore. Okay,
1: it's Football's America's number one sport by, by a lot. And you
0: are a Yankees fan? I am, yes. Okay, and what about Dodgers? Do you sort of like them?
1: I I sort of like them because, you know, they're not competitive with the Yankees. They're in a different division altogether. So they were not, although they were rivals, you know, when like my grandfather was a kid because the Dodgers used to be from Brooklyn. They were the Brooklyn Dodgers and then they got uprooted and moved to LA. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I have a soft spot for the Dodgers, you know. for the I, I like all LA teams, although I don't, Publicly root and endorse, like secretly. I'm I. I like when LA teams are good because it's good
0: for the city, and this is the city I live in. Okay, cool. So it's uh, all right uh, by uh, sort of Dodgers stuff, my son. Even though I'm not absolutely all right, absolutely okay. I love their merch. Yeah, they have good (laughs) merch. They have good merch. Yeah, good colors, simple, exactly, blue and white. Yeah. When was the first time that you were on stage?
1: You know, I didn't discover acting until my freshman year in college I was always obsessed with movies and television still am to this day uh I you know I used to they used to have something called Sunday matinee which is this is how you used to have to if you didn't see a movie in theaters back in the day you'd have to wait for it to come on television a year or two later and my grandfather who I'm named after he was a very uh I'm not gonna say like rough but like he 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 just wasn't He wasn't the warmest guy in the world. Now, granted, he was the greatest grandfather. Like He took care. He was the patriarch, took care of everyone.
0: And this is your father's father? My mom's father.
1: When I turned 13, I went to go give him a hug and a kiss, and he stopped me. And he said, how old are you now? I said, 13. He said, we do this now. And he extended his hand for a handshake. He was that kind of guy. Not really, he didn't really show emotions ever. Okay. But when we, we, he would watch these Sunday matinees and after dinner on Sundays, I'd go watch, I would hear him yell at the TV, he would laugh, he would get upset. Like I saw emotion from him and I thought, wow, like this is the thing that makes him show these emotions that I can't make him show. Or like he had four granddaughters, no one could make him show. Like this, this is a pretty powerful thing. So that's where I really started loving movies and television. But when I went to college, I was already done with school in my mind, you know, and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I had taken an acting class because I had heard the teacher gave you an A just for participating and showing up. Didn't matter if you you did the work or not, just come, show up, and you get an A. And I went and uh, I, I participated and I really started to fall in love with it. And I really thought that, This might be something I wanted to explore. And the teacher didn't give me an A. He actually failed me. And I I remember asking him, like, what are you doing? Like, you're giving kids in here who aren't doing anything A's, and you give me an F. And he said, well, that's because I actually think that you have talent, and I want you to come back and take the class again. And I did. And that was the first time, you know, we would put plays on. So that was the first time I ever really did, like, a performance in front of an audience. And that the rush, like... That was drugs for me. That was, that was, it, I knew right there. I'm like, I have to figure out a way to do
0: this for the rest of my life. Did you have a plan? Because first there was sports right. up until like early teens. Yes. And, at the age of what? I was just
1: like, is 18, 19. It, what were your sort of goals in between? Clueless.
0: This, I was but at, you are supposed to be, right?
1: Yeah, I was at that stage where I guess a lot of kids are, where I'm starting college, and it's like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I didn't really have, outside of sports to that moment, I didn't have a passion of like, oh, I want to be in law enforcement, or I want to be a fireman, or a dentist, or a law. I, I didn't have any of that. I was just trying to figure out, like, wow, what am I going to do? with the rest of my life but did you have a major in college i didn't get far enough really okay i guess uh liberal arts which basically uses the word liberal for real like it's kind of liberal arts is kind of like you don't really know what you want to do like it could be maybe writing it could be acting it could be sociology there's a lot of things that went into liberal
0: arts yeah you said that you did plays and so forth. Was it like Shakespeare and all that? It, it
1: It started like we had one phase where we had to learn all that stuff. And that that stuff, while I enjoy watching it, is not the kind of stuff I'm interested in doing because I just don't think I'm very good at it, obviously. I don't have that, that muscle. But uh, when we started doing stuff like Death of the Salesman and another play, which I did on a bigger forum called Enter Laughing, which was very off, off, off Broadway. It was like above a restaurant. But also that's where a talent agent saw me and that's what helped get me
0: to LA. So, um, Is that when you sort of was discovered?
1: I guess you could say that, yeah. I also did this other thing. It's called the IMTA, right? And uh, it's basically, I forget what it stands for, but it's almost like this convention where, it's like a competition where you do scene study You know, you do like a a scene from a sitcom. You do a dramatic monologue, a comedic monologue, and you have eight real agents and managers are judging you. And you could win awards and stuff. But also, if you didn't win an award, if they thought you had talent, you could have a meeting with them. It sounds like a scam. And I actually thought it was a scam for sure. And I think it is a scam to a degree because if you have the money you're in, there's no like – Oh, you don't have the talent. Sorry. If you have your money, you're in. But a lot of people have come out of that, believe it or not. I think like Katie Holmes did it. I think Ashton Kutcher did it. I did it. And um, yeah, that's kind of where I, I met my first manager who said, come to LA. I would love to work with you. I could get you a lot of auditions. And there was a weird time going on in like film and television in this is 99 and It was all teen-based. This was like Scream and Dawson's Creek and all the, like every, it was the craze. That's all you, it sounded like they were giving shows and movies away to like kids at the mall. Like, hey, you, come be on TV. And I looked really young at that point. I I was 18 or 19. I looked like I was 13 still. Didn't have facial hair. I still had like chubby cheeks. And uh, I moved to LA January of 2000. I had just turned 20. And I... I was going on 12 auditions a week. Didn't book anything. <laughs>
0: oh, you didn't? <laughs> Nothing. Okay, but it didn't take that long, did it?
1: I guess if you really reflect on it now, no. Because from the time I came here to the time Entourage happened, it was, it was three years, which okay. is not a lot of time. But to me, in that moment, it felt like an eternity. Of course. You know, I worked at every restaurant in the Valley, as we were talking about early, and and had all sorts of odd jobs and had the crummy apartment. I didn't have a car my first two years in L.A., which is like being on the moon without oxygen. Like, how do you live in L.A. without a car? I was taking the
0: bus. Okay, you were.
1: Yeah, and those are the kind of things where, like, if you missed your bus, you don't catch the next one 15 minutes later. You catch the next one two hours later because it came every two hours. Yeah. So, yeah, it took me three years to get Entourage and kind of start my real career, but that felt like an eternity at the time. How did you get that job? That job... I
0: guess you've uh, told this story.
1: No, yes and no. You know, like, uh, I mean, I had to go audition and fight and scrap for it, but it, 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 it was actually an independent film that I did, which is the first movie I actually did. And a lot of people in the cast went on to do some great things. An actor named James Badge Dale was in there. Who he's he's got about forty movies coming out. Max Greenfield, who's on New Girl, and is one of my best. We've been best friends since then. Was was in it, and um, it did well. Like it was a four hundred thousand dollar movie, coming of age story. Did well at film festivals. It didn't get a wide release, but Steve Levinson, who's my manager now, who's the executive producer of Entourage, represents Mark Wahlberg. Saw me in it and thought I'd be signed me, and then also said, "Hey, we got this show on HBO called Entourage. You should audition for this role." I remember reading this script initially, like Turtle. I was like, "What is?" I was like, "I didn't didn't know anything about life as a movie star." So I was learning about it as well as I was reading it. I'm like, "Private jets? Like, why does this character want a private plane so bad? That's ridiculous." Mm. And then, yeah, I, I probably auditioned for it. 20 times they start pairing you up with different people all leading to the final test they call it where you you, where hbo obviously gets the final say and that is the most stressful thing in an actor's life testing for a show they basically times over the course of six months yes but then it all leads to this final day and they basically bring like three four actors for every part and you sit in this big Kind of, it's like you do your auditions in a theater, but you're in this big waiting room with everyone. You're staring across the way. I'm like, oh, there are the turtles. There's the Johnny dramas there. And you're looking at these guys, and it's like, wow, it's going to be one of us. One of us is going to get this today. It's the final day. And I remember you do your individual auditions first, and then they start pairing you up. And then they also start letting people go home. So, you start to see, like, all right, it's like, it's almost like American Idol in a way. It's getting thinned out. You're waiting for that golden ticket. And I did my first solo audition, and I, I don't know if I was nervous or I, I didn't kill it. I yeah. wasn't great. And I went outside in the room, and I was a little bummed out, and I'm waiting to Mark Wahlberg, who I had not met, obviously, and was still a little intimidated by. It's Mark Wahlberg, you know? Yeah, of course. I was still a meathead from Brooklyn. And uh, he comes out of the room, and he kind of, he's pointing at someone. And I realized like, he's pointing at me and he's like motioning me over. He's like, Jerry, come here, come here. I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting called into the principal's office. I walk over, he puts his arm around me. He's like, buddy, what are you doing? I'm like, what? He's like, listen, he's like, that didn't go too well in there. I'm like, oh, I didn't. He's like, no, no. He's like, he's, like look, I watched all your audition tapes. He's like, you are this guy. He's like, don't worry about the script. Don't worry, don't worry about the people in the room. Just go do what you've been doing go kill everyone. What he meant by that is like go just steal it. Go do it. He kind of gave me this amazing pep talk. And then next I went in. I think I got paired up with Kevin Connolly who actually who was e all these years and him and I just went in and from the first line either of us spoke the the, the audience laughed and the HBO executives it's almost like they're they know not to laugh. Like they don't want to give you any idea if you're doing well or not. And him Kevin and I had this great read together we went outside and then everyone slowly starts getting sent home and then finally it was me kevin Connolly, kevin dylan and adrian grenier wasn't there or was someone else adrian had sent the tape in from new york but it was three out of four everyone else had gone home we kind of looked at each other like all right this is it and i got the phone call an hour later
0: fantastic yeah congratulations <laughs> who knew yeah. we didn't we didn't know then
1: that it no,
0: but it it sounds like it was like sort of it was big already. I mean, if you had been to that many auditions and so forth, they knew that it was not going to be something major, right? <clears throat> well, that's the
1: great thing about. I mean, there's many great things about HBO, but especially back then, because there wasn't as many cable platforms. I don't even think Showtime was really. I think they, Showtime was just starting to do shows. Obviously, there was no Netflix or AMC yet. So when HBO, you know, they may have a 100 shows in development, but when they choose one to make, they really give it every chance possible to succeed. Whereas if we were on network TV, our numbers were like okay in the beginning, we probably would have gotten canceled because we weren't a runaway hit from the first moment of airing. It certainly took some time. and. Like I said, that's HBO believed in the potential of where this show they saw 3 or 4 years down the road of what this show could be. And they they let us figure it out. Whereas I think on other area, other platforms we would
0: have they would have given us the hook. You've been to Europe quite recently. I, I was just yeah, very no, recently, yeah. No. In Sweden. I'm not sure that it ever aired. Is that yeah. right?
1: Introducing WonderSuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard.
0: I don't think so, but everybody saw it, you know, Pirate Bay is from Sweden, so I'm sorry about that. No, 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 in a
1: weird way, like, yeah, believe me, I don't love piracy and all that it stands for, but I am glad that you saw it, you know, and people in Sweden saw it, so I'm not saying I condone it, but in the same breath you know if you, it's better than almost never seeing it yeah of course but also yeah like when we were maybe halfway through or 3 quarters of the way through with our run that's also where you know the internet was basically becoming this this real thing where people could watch stuff so of course that's why we never really truly knew how many people were watching because we knew people were watching from
0: many different areas it must have been <clears> like it's one of the most i mean global hits of that decade
1: yeah you know again i i i never really traveled much so i didn't know and we we did do an episode in france at the Cannes film yeah, festival yeah. and that was the first time i think it was like season four that was the first time we've obviously left the states that was the first time i left the country ever and you go to you know a foreign language where you don't speak the language, but yet people knew people were starting to, uh, they would kind of spot us and they would know us from the show. And that's where we started to think, oh, maybe
0: this thing is a little more global than any of us think, you know? How was, like, moving around in in Europe then and now when you were there? (laughs) You know, it was tough. Like, London was uh, really tough because we had a premiere
1: in London and uh, the show... sick, right? Yeah, yes. Of all the premiere, we've always had great premieres over the years uh new york was always like the really big one because our families were there la was definitely a trendy one so far today london may have been the best premiere we've ever had like it just was an amazing venue the way the fans showed up no we couldn't basically go anywhere i've always heard in australia the show was huge a lot of australians want to run up to me and wrestle and hug and have you been to Australia? No, I've never been. Uh, Adrian's been, okay, and said it was great. And Adrian actually, after we we're done with London, me and my girlfriend and Kevin Connolly and Doug, we went to Italy. Adrian went to Stockholm.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You it, know. Yeah, yeah. I like your watch, by the way. Oh, thank you. I saw that you're a Rolex yourself. Oh, yeah, it's like a new, yeah. a new
1: obsession which accountants don't love watches are just exploding again like the prices are pretty crazy I'm yeah. looking at one now that I want and it's just like six months ago it was it's gone up like 25 30 percent in like the last six months what is it I want to get the black and blue GMT okay they call it like the Pepsi Cola yeah, yeah, or like the Batman one yeah. I I just think that's a beautiful watch is it just Rolex for you or are you a Pepsi- no I like uh I, I mean I like them all I, I love uh I have an AP, which uh, yeah, I really like. I had a Panerai, which I I like. I actually um, I sold to get another watch, and like though I don't know what's happened to Panerai, but they've really taken a hit. They've kind of re- like I sold, and then it, it went down. Like I got I lost some money on it when I sold it, and then it went down even more after I
0: okay. sold it. What I don't know.
1: That? I have no idea. I think maybe they made too many of them. I'm not quite sure what's going on with Panerai, but you know how it goes. It's all a cycle. They'll they'll come back because they hit like a high point like three or four years ago, I think, because Beckham, David Beckham, started uh-huh. wearing them and a few photo shoots and stuff. And okay. then there was a massive rush on Panerai.
0: Is he big here? Is a
1: yeah? He certainly. Yeah, uh,
0: he's, he still lives in LA, right? Yeah,
1: no, he he he's certainly a, a household name here for sure. People love Beckham. I I'm a Beckham fan here. He comes into. Uh, I have a, I won't call it a restaurant business, but a sandwich shop business, and he frequents the Hollywood location with his kids all the time. Ah, that's nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay. He also goes to SoulCycle, mm -hmm. I know. Yes, he does. Have you tried that?
1: Yeah, I'm not much for it. It actually, uh, it hurts my knees. I know it's not supposed to, but my my girl does it a lot. I'm not a big spin class person. No, no. It's a great workout.
0: Well, I've been there once to Soul Cycle. Beckham wasn't there. I'm very The sorry one right up here? What's hot, the, the st- one on uh, sunset? Yeah, yeah, the bit. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the one. And I was sort of blown away about the um, atmosphere in there. It was crazy. Sure. <laughs> a lot of beautiful people in there yes. as well. Yeah. yeah. But now that the Entourage launch is over, what, what, what does your everyday life look like?
1: You know, right now, I mean, in the exact current state and and I it's weird because I have I've had a little the last few weeks I've been a little hard on myself because I'm I'm finding myself I'm not like lacking in motivation like I'm certainly motivated but I really am only motivated for certain things like the window of things I'm motivated for is shrunk in a way and I think partly because the entourage press campaign was so massive and it really didn't match up because the movie wasn't massive budgetarily. Like it wasn't a big budget movie, but we had this like two, three month campaign. Like you thought we were like the Avengers. We were everywhere. Yeah. And that part of the business, I'm not, I'm not great with, you know, like the whole selling a movie. Like I know how to promote stuff, but I didn't realize I'd never been on a press tour for three months. I've done the two or three week junkets for a movie and stuff like that. And it kind of wiped me out. And, and, I've been back now for, you know, we were in Europe two months ago, so I've certainly had time to recover, but I'm still not really ready to take on much responsibility yet. And it was weird because after the show ended, I was so motivated in, you know, the what's next. And I'd done six or seven movies in between the show ending and Entourage. Mm -hmm. And it was a hard time not to commit to Entourage like I didn't want to do it, but I knew doing Entourage was kind of all the work I had done to kind of get out of, that role, not not in an ungrateful way, just in an evolutionary way. Of course. I knew I was going to not take steps backwards, but it was going to shut down my life for a while. I, 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 there's two great jobs I couldn't do because of Entourage, but Entourage in itself was a great job, too. I was never not going to do the Entourage movie, but I just knew, okay— even in great success or in failure or in mediocrity it's going I'm going to have to kind of start over again in breaking away from this character and uh, that's kind of where I I am a little bit I I mean you know I have a movie coming out later this year and I'm on a a show on the Stars Network now called Power and those are all great opportunities but I'm not quite ready to dive back in I'm enjoying the podcast man I really love that because with acting you get to control nothing like sure you can control all your performance, but I can't wake up tomorrow and say I want to act tomorrow. I have to go like I, after this, I'm I'm going to audition for a Clint Eastwood movie. Ah. Small role, but I have to go scratch and claw and and fight to even get a small role in a Clint Eastwood movie because that's just how it is. Like you have to go earn it, and yeah. I'm I'm not afraid to do that. But I do like that tomorrow I could wake up and if I have an idea for a podcast I could. I could go do it i don't have to ask for permission it's it's, it's nice yeah, it's a nice yeah, feeling to be able to control an artistic form finally
0: yeah of course i mean that must be so frustrating in a way because with acting there's always going to be like 100 people that are sort of going to make decisions for you or whether you can do it or not and so forth
1: yeah and the next thing I do if I have it my way which that's also what I'm trying to do like I and I would like to get back on television like I said having done a few movies after Entourage very grateful for it but I don't know if going to New Orleans for six weeks and New Mexico for three and Vancouver for two you know I don't know if in Atlanta for two months like I'm a homebody. I don't, and especially now, talking earlier about maybe marriage and family. Like, I don't know if that's for me. There's something now about a like a television show, that daily grind, but the stability, almost like a that's like the actor's version of a nine to five. Really, is a TV show in LA.
0: That but sounds so are, good to me right now. But are there any shows that are shot here?
1: Yes and no. Some are, most aren't. But um, what I was going to say is, you know, the next thing I do, if I'm if I'm afforded the luxury to do a television show one day, I want it to kind of be something that comes from my brain a little bit that I have a hand in developing because I do love writing. I, I wrote for Entourage. I wrote two episodes of the show and I spent two years in the writer's room. Writing is is also a passion of mine, you know, and it goes back to the stuff with my grandfather. Like, acting was kind of what I, I first discovered but i could have easily been an editor i could have been a writer i could have been something in movies and tv is what i wanted and acting was just the first thing i discovered yeah. but now i'm discovering other things that are equally as challenging and exciting
0: yeah but that's fantastic because in the writers room nobody's going to associate you with turtle no people still don't know that you know i wrote some of the episode and and they're
1: kind of not shocked by it but they do like oh wow yeah, oh, that's cool. Like they never really. Oh, I guess they didn't expect it because it perception a lot of the times here and in the entertainment business is reality. Like they see the backwards hat and 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 the pot smoking. And oh, that's turtle. That's that's what he does. And uh,
0: if they only knew, they only knew. Yeah. I started my podcast in a way to sort of, I was hoping perhaps that I would not get more jobs in television, like yeah. perhaps being a, a producer or an editor or whatever. But I was thinking that maybe you had sort of the same drive with your podcast or...
1: You know, it was a few things. Number one, I've always had a love also for radio. Uh, plus one, yeah. Yeah, and this this kind of dates back to sports. You know, I didn't have a TV. It it's so weird. It all goes back to what we were talking about. You know, single mom. I didn't have, like, the big TV in my bedroom and all that. Like, I had a radio. And I would, like, always listen to, like, the Yankee game on the radio. And then I would fall asleep to talk radio. It's just my first form of entertainment, really. And so I've always loved it, and then like you know I discovered Howard Stern at a young age and other radio hosts. So there was that—the fact that I always had a passion for it—and yeah, like you said, it—it's it, not that I wanted people to see another side of me, but maybe subconsciously I did. Like mm. if you listen to my podcast, I think you'd be—you find it surprising to learn some stuff about me, and it really was just also about showcasing people who entertain me that I think that are extremely entertaining and funny that maybe don't have a massive following that I, I think should like a buddy of mine, Kevin Christie, who's a comedian and Brett Ernst who's a comedian and a guy like Max Greenfield to hear his story, you know, and see the differences of him and Schmidt. I don't know. That, that's also part of it for me. And uh, also, you know, my girlfriend's the producer. She has a education in journalism. Like she, I, I always knew she'd be good at it, you know. I don't even think she really knew at first. And uh, I couldn't do it without her. And, and she's absolutely great at it. When it comes to podcasting
0: then, who got you into that?
1: It was just really from being a fan, you know, of listening to – I you know I listening to guys like Bill Burr and Joe Rogan and, and stuff like that here and then realizing – Mark Maron? Mark Maron, of course, yeah. you know. And you know I think him having Obama on his podcast yeah. really – is going, that's just sending it into another stratosphere now. Like, it's official. We could talk about the golden age of podcasting. That took it from gold to platinum, you know?
0: Exactly. Well, It's good for all of us. Yeah, Cereal took it to gold then. For sure.
1: Cereal took it to gold. Marin took it to platinum. And
0: I think... uh, But there is going to be more. Uh, I mean, there's going to be titanium as well, or whatever. (laughs) I mean...
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been doing it for a little over a year. And from the year I started, I habitually like to check the the iTunes charts because I'm a competitive son of a bitch. And like just seeing the amount of new shows from when we started. And yeah. and I, I really didn't know just how easy it was. When I say easy, I don't mean the actual content part. I mean just the technical part. You know, I didn't know it was that easy to do. I mean, easy for me. It drove my girlfriend nuts figuring out how to get an RSS feed into it, like all that, which I don't like, speak that language. She does to me it seems easy i go tape a show and then she puts her magic fingers on it and then an hour
0: later it's up for whoever wants to to hear it i think it's so cool yeah it's fantastic yeah and i've realized that it was the first i mean you are probably too young to have been a punk rocker but do you remember it happening
1: oh i certainly do you know i wasn't obviously around for the beginnings but you know i was around like nirvana took it to a whole, here, took it to a whole other level. And I also am a bit of a historian. I produced a documentary about a punk rock group in the 70s, okay. a band called Death, which not a lot of people knew their story, but a lot of people who are around punk rock from the beginning knew about Death. So it's kind of like, a, yeah, I, I I get what you're saying about the movement, just how exactly. it's taking over. Yeah, that's
0: That's what I feel with podcasting, is that it's the first punk movement that I'm actually in. And it's fantastic. It's true, right?
1: Yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I, I never really thought of it
0: like that, but that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. Everybody can do it, and obviously, yeah. Well, that's very cool. I've gotten a lot of
1: emails. I like audience interaction. I really try to interact with however many listeners we have, but there's probably been three or four cases of, people who started their own even on a smaller scale just from listening to mine and i think that's that's like the coolest thing in the world to me yeah it is i've never inspired anyone to do anything
0: (laughs) well i'm sure you have but anyway do you consider it like being a part of your job or is it more of a hobby
1: that is a great question because you know we are monetizing it on a very small scale so i guess it does become part of a job but it really, in my heart of hearts, feels like a hobby to me because that's how much I love doing it. Like I don't ever, maybe there's been one or two times if we've ever had like an aggressive schedule where we're taping maybe like three or four in a week that I'm like, this feels like a job right now. But uh, it never really quite feels like a like a job. And I, But I do think it is part of, I look at my career and, and people's career in general as uh, like the sum of all parts. It's not so much about the one big, I don't ever want to be, just the one big thing. Like entourage will probably always be that thing for me whether I like it or not. You know, I never really had like a publicist or any of that stuff before. I recently started working with one because I just always felt I didn't have enough to talk about. But if you kind of add up now the sum of all parts, like obviously you and I, we could talk entourage. We could talk fat sales if we want. We could talk weight loss and stuff. We could talk podcasting. It's it's all that. That's how I want to be defined by everything, the yeah. sum of all parts, not just like one thing.
0: But I was thinking about that because you said on your podcast which questions you always got to answer during yes. the the uh, entourage law show. I'm not sure. Have I asked any of them so far?
1: The ones that I've been that yeah, exactly. no, no, no. You've no. you've definitely. Uh, I'll try
0: to keep away from it. No, we'll you've see done how it because
1: there are the look. There's the five basic questions. You know, it's like, what was it like bringing entourage from a TV show to a movie? How has Turtle evolved? Is it as much fun as it was? You know, and I appreciate all those questions, but yes, in the last three months, I've probably answered them 1,700 times.
0: Yeah, exactly. But it's people doing their job. Well, yeah, but lazily.
1: I, you know, I didn't want to take it that far, but you're absolutely right. Like, I always start every podcast, I do my work, and I find myself doing the same thing. Like, how could I not ask Jerry O'Connell about Stand By Me, you mm-hmm. know, which was his first role as a child actor? Like, it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. But he's been asked that his whole life. But I certainly had that on my list of questions when he came in. He's a friend of mine. So the minute I started going that route, he literally diverted from the plan and said, Let me tell you about a story where I thought I had AIDS. And I was like, What? I'm like, No, dude, it's the start. And he's like, No, no, you're gonna love this story. And the episode went on for two hours, and I never once looked at my paper. And I kind of talked to him. And he was like, "No one wants to hear me talk about Stand By Me. You could, you could that. There's that's available on se- thousands of outlets. Like mm. this is the shit people want to hear. And while I don't fully agree, because I still want to hear about Stand By yeah, Me, yeah, but I get it. I almost did to him what people have done to me, and it's hard not to."
0: But to have go with to, that. you just have to sort of uh, do a little soul searching. Uh, yeah. or and a little research. Fu- yeah, exactly. And try to find a, a spin of your own. of it. I, I
1: completely agree. You know, like uh, we were talking about Brooklyn. I don't, not a lot of people, and I'm not even sure this is an interesting point to ever talk about or not, but I've done a lot of podcasts too. It's nice to be a guest i like not driving the car you know but rarely people want to talk about brooklyn or what it was like to grow up there or my dad like i've gone basically my whole career not fully ever discussing my father and while i'm completely happy about that because i'm always waiting for that question you know it's maybe come up like twice Yeah, right which tells me people didn't really do tons of research
0: yeah perhaps or out of it might be out of respect in a way.
1: oh no for sure like years ago i went on like rosie o'donnell's talk show and um she had asked about like my single mom and she was, she was like oh what happened with your, your you know your parents divorce i'm like oh no my father passed away and she kind of went oh how how and i just was like, uh, uh, that's what came out i was like i, I didn't know how to i didn't want to talk about it and and then she felt horrible she was she didn't know the can she wasn't trying to pry she just didn't realize like, you're right it, a lot of it's out of respect i'm not saying people should ask me that but mm. um how did it do uh, no it was it was it was drug related oh uh, okay and um you know it was just was the sort of thing i always when i was younger even before acting or anything like that i always was not ashamed to say but i thought people would associate me with that and like judge me and it, it took me growing up and becoming a man an adult to realize that People don't look at things like that. People don't really, maybe some do, but most people just look at it like a tragedy and say, oh, that must have been horrible. But I had the best childhood in the world. And having one parent was the most normal thing to me ever. Like I felt bad for some of my friends who had to like get over on two parents. Yeah, It's like, oh, you had like two hurdles to get past. I only have one.
0: There are presidential candidates who are for legalization of all drugs right
1: i don't know if it's all definitely complete and total legalization of marijuana
0: i mean yeah. it's almost yeah, th- yeah. that's
1: already happening you yeah. know uh but yeah i think some
0: some are but i mean having lost your father do you have an opinion on that i do like and it might be hypocritical because
1: i was affected. so i'm not saying that this is how it should be but uh I really despise drugs, you know, you know, it's taken from me. So I, it, it, it's hard for me to look at them and be like, Oh, everyone live your life how you choose. Like I, I don't, and my friends have always done a really good job. I don't think any of my friends do drugs. And if they did, I don't know. Like, even growing up, I mean, look, and this is why I'm a hypocrite because I don't look at weed. I look at alcohol as more dangerous than weed. It
0: probably is, yeah.
1: But weed is a drug, so I guess I'm a hypocrite by default right there, you know? Although I don't smoke anymore. I smoked weed for years
0: and years and years, so well, like I said... Caffeine is a drug as well. It, yeah, right. But,
1: um, I don't know, I just, I, you know, I've seen what it's done to people. I've seen what it's taken from me, and... um it gets into your body and then your body just craves it. So it becomes one thing where you're making a choice, but then it becomes a thing where your body is calling for it. I don't know. Drugs like cocaine or whatever. I'm sure a lot of people might hear this and tell me to get off my high horse. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't like, I don't like what it does to people, man. Obviously, like I'm sure people who are doing it don't know at the time, what they look like, but, uh, it's hard for me yeah. to accept to really, and I guess if I am preachy and if I have one deal breaker is like I just don't associate with people really intimately who who do hard drugs, but again, the hypocritical part of me is i'll sit and drink with you i'll sit and you smoke
0: a joint right now, I wouldn't care, so i'm I am a hypocrite well, it's complicated for me because i in a way, I understand why there are people that want to legalize or decriminalize right. the use of such substances because you don't want to punish people for being victims of right well, and so forth. Right, but then
1: you don't punish the, the people who use it, but you just want to punish the people who sell it. Honestly, I'm grateful I am not responsible for any of these decisions that go on because no. I I wouldn't know the first thing or the first way to actually make this normal in any way like i'm still freaked out by the fact that weed's legal and and you could walk into a shop. it's just ironic because i don't smoke anymore that now i could be smoking like the way i used to have to go buy weed to how it is today it's it's not
0: fair i'm curious about one thing about weed is that when you drive like on the 101 or whatever you're gonna smell pot on the highway do people smoke in their cars while driving? You know, I don't think so. I don't think you could... That's
1: a great question that I actually don't know the answer to. Because, I mean, to me, it'd be the same thing as drinking and driving. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 tough, man. I, I, I feel for people who've struggled with any form of an addiction. And uh, it's a very addictive thing. Look, by the way, I get it. Even like with with the way I used to smoke weed and stuff like, like I get it. I love to escape. Mm. Life is hard. Escaping is, is very easy to do. I, I think that was a lot of my dad's issue was just escapism. Like I don't want to face my problems soberly. So I don't look at it like people who use drugs or idiots. Or, like I, I feel for them in a way. And I just hate that. Like I hate that term rock bottom me. And that's usually when people start to, clean up their lives like oh he or she hasn't hit rock bottom yet it's like oh i wish it didn't have to get to rock bottom because rock bottom is such a scary place but i guess that's sometimes what it takes
0: for people to make that turnaround but i love a good turnaround story of course did you ever smoke real pot on saturn on (laughs) rush
1: you know i get that's i get asked that not a lot every now no 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 that's not a frequent question okay but um the answer is no. I'm not going to say I never. Here's what I'll say. I never have an entourage. Pre entourage, I maybe did, I maybe messed around, but you know, those work days are so long that at least for me, making like the choice. Because obviously, I know how to play stoned from weed very easily. So I never felt like I needed that to portray it accurately. But also, I knew if I did that, this 14-hour day is going to turn into a 16-hour day. I'm going to be stumbling on my lines. And, you know, do you want to work when you smoke like that? Like, yeah, maybe for an hour. But then at some point,
0: it would kind of hurt you. So uh, for no, re- me, no. It looks really real. I mean, how do you fake that? But Because you can't smoke regular cigarettes no they have uh like this herb- well
1: when i used to smoke cigarettes i would just roll regular tobacco okay. in in papers and just kind of smoke it uh then when i stopped smoking cigarettes i would use like this herbal tobacco which looks like weed and even just the art even just inhaling a cigarette like a joint i could feel like i'm still i could kind of trick myself into those mm-hmm. mechanisms it's one of my favorite shots ever in the history of the show for me w- which was a an episode we did about like the first legal weed dispensary and the Johnny drama character just wants a hat from the store. And I'm just like, Oh my God, we got to get pounds of weed. And he gets me some good weed and he calls me cause he needs it for yeah. something. And I'm just sitting on the couch, like hitting this giant joint and the smoke everywhere. And I'm like, yo, Uh, Because I just remember, like, that's how my friends, would. I could tell when I would call my friends when I was younger, they answered the phone like, yo, I knew they were just stoned out of their mind. So uh, it wasn't that hard to play.
0: I understand. Do you consider yourself an entrepreneur?
1: Yes and no. Yes, because I've done well with some businesses outside of entourage. So I guess by default, I am. But no, because I don't seek out you know i'm not like mini mark cuban going on shark tank i'm not seeking out like oh you got a great business let me help you go public i'm not really seeking out businesses but I, I do enjoy getting into other areas like we talked about you know i have the the sandwich shop and the podcast and i do have a real estate investment with my uncle back in brooklyn in williamsburg of all places we okay. uh we have a big building that we just built there that he's had for years that we totally knocked down and rebuilt and just seeing what how that property's increased in the last 5 years is I guess makes me an entrepreneur but again like I said it's kind of by default. I'm yeah. not seeking these things out. And I've had a lot of great guidance from my older brother and this uncle I speak of. They've been in business for a
0: while. Um What, what does your brother do for a living? My
1: brother's in real estate as well. He's a part of the Williamsburg thing and he has his own real estate business in Staten Island and in Brooklyn and in Manhattan, you know. So he he's my best friend. He's kind of I can't, it's weird. He hasn't been like a father to me, but in a weird way, he has been without me knowing it, you know? Like he's, he's been, him and my uncle, are the only two male figures that I will listen to. I have problems with male authority. There's my daddy issues. Those are the only two that could literally yell or tell me what to do and I'll listen. How about your agent then? Nope. Okay. <laughs> no, not, I mean, I, I, I listen to them because they're smart, but in terms of like feeling like I have to listen to them. I only really tolerate from those two, but I guess you could say I'm an entrepreneur by default. I, like I said, I don't I don't search out businesses. But
0: when googling you, it says that your net worth is like five million dollars or something like that.
1: Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Mm, maybe you should Google that again. <laughs> <laughs> i I'm, I'm kidding. Look, there, obviously, my life financially was changed by Entourage, first and foremost. But these other things have certainly, and I'm only able to do those other things because of Entourage financially. But uh, but yeah, do, do you splurge? You know, that's my thing. Like, I am fortunate in another area. The things I like to do don't happen to cost a lot of money. I mean, they do when you look at them relatively, but I love to play basketball, I love to work out. I like to travel a little I'm not a big car guy. Roll, this, watches are probably my biggest splurges, and I don't have any form of gold, anything. Watches are a big splurge, and and my house, where I live. Like I, I'm a homebody, so I like to have a nice place to hang my hat. I like a nice watch and a nice steak. Those are my biggest expenses probably in the world.
0: Okay. Do you have a heated pool?
1: No, actually. I have a pool, not heated. Okay. I don't feel the need. It's so freaking hot. <laughs> Yeah. I just don't feel my my pool is like eighty eight degrees with no heater. Okay, but not in the winter. No, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but you just moved in, or yeah, recently. Like oh, okay. that's what I was saying. Like going back to the laziness part and me not being motivated. I also I moved into this house, which you know it's a very nice house. I haven't really been. This is I've now been home for like five weeks, so I
0: finally feel like I actually live there. Okay, cool. Congratulations, I yeah, guess. Thank you. Are you also marrying your producer? I want to, but although, you know, I guess that's
1: on me because what did the kids say? Put a ring on it? I haven't done that yet. I mean, in my, I know for sure, like, and I've told her this, like, if it's not her, it's nobody. Like, if I couldn't, if I can't, if we don't, can't make it work, and if I can't make it work with her, I really don't think that there's anyone out there for me because she is the most compatible person i have ever seen in my life i'm extremely lucky to have her i always say to her like even when we do nothing like even if we sit home and watch a movie or like go for a walk like i feel like i did something like people ask me oh what'd you do last night i'm like oh me and brie sat on the couch and and watched the, the godfather they're like oh so you stayed in you didn't do no, no no it was a great night i always feel like we we did something fantastic
0: yeah yeah you told me about this fantasy camp, but do you do other <laughs> charities as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't have my own charity that I am associated with. It's something I do want to do one day, and I'm I'm going to do it. And I think my mom's actually going to help me with it, because she always felt that mental health is something that needs more attention. But I, 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 I mean, a lot of my friends have charities. I've helped with Mark Wahlberg's over the years, and uh, I'm always donating to various ones. Like, um, there was this woman who writes for, uh, I think, the television show Bob's Burgers. Wendy, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so she's probably going to be mad at me, but she had this whole charity thing where the hook was, it's Cure Search is the name of her charity, and she says, there's two things I hate in the world, children's cancer and entourage so help me fight both like if you don't so her whole charity was you donate money i'll go watch entourage and like i'll write a review if we get to like twenty thousand dollars i'll watch it twice and all this great i actually thought it was really funny so i donated to it like to put her over the edge to have to see and i just told her i was like well here you go wendy enjoy the movie like i it wasn't i just really thought it was a unique way to promote a charity i totally got the sense of humor of it of course her reviews were scathing. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I just thought it was funny. I'm, I'm also helping right now with this one that's really unique. And it's it's um, these two kids who started a Kickstarter to help kind of support and encourage female skateboarding. Which, you know, obviously doesn't hit home with a lot of people in terms like stuff like cancer and a lot of medical things. And But I just – I don't know. I saw the way these two kids are kind of doing something – that doesn't benefit them. It's benefiting someone else. So I just felt, and Brie, my girlfriend, is the one who kind of showed me this. And I thought they were really creative kids with the way they shot some of the stuff. And um, you don't really hear about female skateboarders. You know they're out there. You know, I don't know if they feel like they're glossed over or not. I, know, I just thought it was a really cool thing. And I donated, I'm going to donate a little bit of money. And I've talked about them on the podcast and I'm tweeting about them. I don't know. I just, it's the easiest thing to do to me. And uh, I think we could all do... It doesn't have to be a major thing. You don't have to have money to do it. I don't know. I just think charity is something that makes this world a much better
0: place. Agree. <clears throat> what do you know about your future? What do I know? Yeah. What do you mean? Uh, be I more mean, specific. What, what do you have planned ahead? or And what do you want to do? I mean, <clears throat> you're a goal guy. If I had it my way, it would
1: probably be... Get back on a cable show that I am also helping to produce and write. That I'm acting. It doesn't have to be a starring role, but it's not just I want to put my own hat in the ring. I want to like, I want to take a dive with my own ideas. Mm. Some in LA, so I could set my home life up. You have I, ideas for that? I, yes, I do. Okay. I have. That's what I mean, like I'm a little lacking in motivation. I'm staring at these ideas I have on the board, and I I, I just need to just go at them a little more full force, and I will. I it's kind of like my process cuz then when I do I am completely OCD. I, I, I will do it morning, noon and night until it's done. So I think that's part of it too like I I'm enjoying being lazy cuz I know once I go in I'm not coming out till it's done. Obviously marriage and children, you know, growing up without a dad like that's very important to me being there a father. W-
0: there was a rumor on the internet that you already knocked her up.
1: N- really? Yeah. Did you find that? Yeah. That's a real thing. Not true, but I would like to disprove.
0: No, but I can show you. Uh, Is
1: that true? Yes. Oh, Uh, the internet, the wild, wild web. No, that is certainly a rumor. I've heard only a couple, there's only been a couple of like outrageous rumors about me. I'm lucky in the sense where I am not nearly visible and famous enough to get like some of the crazy wild rumors. Huh. Wait, wait,
0: wait. This is like August five. That's now, right? That's today.
1: I got to call my girlfriend.
0: <laughs>
1: oh my god, I'm having a baby. No, no, that I don't even know what that is. <laughs> okay. There was a rumor on the internet years ago that I died. Uh-huh. Okay. That was interesting yeah. to like start seeing like why is my mom calling me? Why is my brother calling me? Why is my... Everyone I knew was calling me within the same hour. I'm like, guys, what's going on? They're like, there's a rumor on the internet you're dead. I'm like, well, I'm not. Otherwise, I mean, and that's what you thought, to call me? Yeah. I guess that's like the, the thing. And what, if I didn't answer the phone, you assume the rumors were true?
0: Yeah, I guess so. How else are they going to sh- check uh, I guess, check right? Uh, you know I mean? But
1: no, to my knowledge, we are not expecting. Okay. But to answer your previous question, yes, that that's something that I would like to see myself do. And then I, I think eventually would be to move back a little closer to the home. You know, her family's from Ohio, mine's from New York. That's actually a pretty good point. They're only about an hour flight from each other. The idea of living somewhere quiet, like Ohio, some people think you're, oh, what are you, nuts? Like, to me, actually sounds pretty cool. Uh And then you could do a pot, like, you want the end goal. Do a show for seven years, hopefully make some more good money, have the kids, and then, you know, just move, just Go off into the sunset. Be done with acting. Move somewhere far away, and then do a podcast out of my man cave that hopefully has millions of listeners. And uh, do that twice a week and play some golf. Done. I'm happy. How is your golf? Horrible. I quit. Oh, you did. But I'm. I quit and I start playing again and I love it. And then I quit. It's a. It's a cycle. I've quit golf probably more times than I've actually done any other sport in my life. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I usually break a club. All right. And then when that club's getting fixed, I quit. But then when that club comes back repaired, it's like, maybe I should start playing again.
0: Yeah. Would you like to recommend something? I'm going to recommend something. And this is
1: really nerdy. And some people might hear this and say, I thought this guy was so much cooler. Okay. I've recently started doing like these like weird dinner theater things. They're usually like murder mystery dinner theater which I'm a total, like, my favorite movie of all time for that genre is Clue. And that's my favorite board game. And I, I, I love that whole, like, murder mystery thing. And there's some places that do it in, like, a dinner theater environment. And it's actually just really – there's, like, great performances. There's a great story. You're part of the show. So wherever you live, just Google your local murder mystery dinner theater. See what comes up. And go try something new. I did one that was on a boat one time. It usually takes my birthday for me to get my friends to do it with me. That's the only time because they have to do what I say. <laughs> Other than that, I don't ever get to do it. So my birthday is coming up in November. I'm going to do it again. It'll be like four years in a row that I've gone and done murder mystery dinner theater. It sounds stupid. I know. You could lie. You're could. you making a face. I don't know no, if I have no. you or not. We don't, we don't have it in Sweden. Maybe, well, maybe that's what we do. I, that's another thing I'd love to do. I'd love to produce my own, like seasonal, like summers only, like a murder mystery Dinner theater event where you're part of the show. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure you should make be my, a franchise. Uh, my next
0: entrepreneurship. Exactly. All right. Good luck with I that. I feel like your
1: audience is wildly disappointed with my <laughs> thing that I chose to talk about. <laughs> no,
0: no, I, I'm sure they're not. Who do you think I should interview? Ronda Rousey. You know who Ronda Rousey is? Yes, I saw the movie. Uh, and because you've done a
1: really great job at not asking the traditional questions. And I feel like Rhonda's at a point where she's getting those traditional questions. She's just a great interview. I think you'd enjoy it. I had her on maybe like a year ago and um, she is so candid and so honest. It's just a great interview. It's just a great interview. And I think uh, she's at such an unbelievable point in her career. You talk about someone who's skyrocketing globally at that. I think she'd be a great, I think you'd love to
0: have her on. Thank you very much for your time. Of course. Jerry Ferrara, such a nice guy. And uh, he talked about that uh, Clint Eastwood movie that he was uh, auditioning for. He got it. It's called Sully. It's going to come out next year. It's got Tom Hanks. It's got Laura Linney. It's going to be a big one, I guess. And uh, Jerry Ferrara is in it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Congratulations on that. And you can also see Jerry in a TV series called Power. I haven't seen that yet. I'm not sure that we have it in Sweden. I'll try to check it out when I go to the US next time. Or try to find it on the internet some way. All right. That's it for this week. Uh, Lovisa Olsson is the editor of Varvet International. I'm Christoph Jumf. Talk to you in two weeks. Take care of each other. Bye bye.